Something that I've tried to do is every once in a while, um, I, I do a lot of premarital counseling. We've got a, actually quite a few of you in the room that I've done your premarital counseling, and that was, it's been an honor. And uh, most of you have come back at some point saying, you didn't tell me about this, uh, just because we can't cover everything. But uh, something that I think I'm learn- needing to learn to bring up is when you buy a house, you have something that inherently comes with the house, and it's called projects. I don't care how new your house is, um, you're going to have projects. We, we're, the house we're in right now, we built, but I'll tell you this, as soon as we moved in, immediately I know the look in my wife's eye when she sees a room, and whatever color the room is, she already sees what the next color is going to be. And when I'm painting a room, I, and she's like, oh, this looks great, this looks wonderful, but I already know in her brain, she's moving on to the next color of what it's going to be in about a year. I don't know if you're married to somebody that likes projects, develops projects for you, I am married to one of those. But um, the house that we really have loved the most that we have owned was our house in Midland. If there was Anything we could have brought from Midland, we would have brought our house in the basement. It was built in the 50s, had so much character. Um, it had, anybody have pocket doors in their house? Oh, we've got a few people. Pocket door, some of you are like, what's a pocket door? It's a door that hides inside the wall. And we put our kids to the bed, put the pocket door in, it like sealed them off from us. It sounds so bad as a parent, but some of y'all understand what I'm talking about. Seals them off and you feel like you got a whole house to yourself. It's wonderful. We were youth pastors, so teenagers would be on one side. Our kids sealed, sealed off. That sounds so bad. Sealed off on the other side. Um, if you want to get my wife ever ranting about anything in a good way, ask her about the house and what she would have done differently with that house. I, I can already hear her right now, right now making comments. We love that house. So much character. And I remember um, she wanted me to paint the, the half bath. We had never owned a half bath before. And so it's this tiny little room and I walked in and I realized that homes sometimes can come with demons. And usually it's in the form of wallpaper. If you've never removed wallpaper, you have no idea what I'm talking about. And I don't think people say, I don't believe in Satan, I believe in demons. But if you have wallpaper to remove, you become a believer that, that the demonic exists. And so I went into that room. It's such a small room. And I'm like, oh, I can easily peel this off. I've never peeled off wallpaper before. And then all of a sudden, I'm renting equipment. I'm doing all sorts of substances on this wall. And then when I take down the wallpaper, I discover why he put the wallpaper up. He, the owner before us, drywalled the room, didn't know what he was doing, and instead of fixing the drywall, he put really thick wallpaper up, and now I'm tearing it down, I'm like, thanks, Brad, now i got to fix this, and now i got to do drywall, and I've now got to paint this thing. And as soon as I'm done, she's like, okay, what can we do next? And so we go into our other bathroom, and you got to picture this. Little square ceramic tiles, all navy blue, Thousands of them, it's the entire floor going up the wall and that transitions to larger gray tiles that go up to about shoulder to almost ear height for me. It is tiles everywhere. Here tile, there tile, everywhere a tile, tile, thank you. And like the whole, like the ginormous um, countertop was all the little blue things. They had cement board with the tiles cemented to it. And I'm like, I am like dreading this project. And so we're talking in the bathroom one day and I say, I wonder when we should start renovating. And I picked that one tile and 15 came down. Guess what we started that day? This project. 
And now I've replaced the toilet. I took down a half wall between the toilet and the counter. I took down the counter, took down the, um, the, the vanity. I took down mirrors. I took out the bathtub. I replaced the entire floor with ceramic floor. I never did a single thing and didn't use YouTube to the glory of God. I replaced everything. It was quite the project, and it was perhaps the hardest home project I have ever done in my entire life. But can I tell you what the easiest part of the project is? Do you know what the easiest part of those projects are? Demolition. I walked around like Thor with my sledgehammer, and then I walked in with a sawzall. And can I tell you that you're going to have a half wall like next to your toilet? Can I tell you just with a hammer? It is the greatest stress relief you've ever had in your life. And I know that you with little ones never get stressed. Your kids never stress you. I went through like Thor with Melnir, and I am just destroying stuff. I am ripping apart cabinetry. I'm taking a hammer to everything and it felt so good. And then once it's all cleared, that's when the next four weeks, six weeks, Eight weeks, the project, I swear, never had an ending. Can I tell you this? When it comes to our faith and when it comes to the things of Christ, one of the easiest things that you can do is literally destroy it all. Destruction is pretty easy to do, isn't it? To just rip apart things, to break apart things, to pick apart things. We can do that to our marriages. We can do that to our schools, to politics. We can do that to our jobs. And, and we can look at things. And it's easy to pick something apart. It's easy to take a sledgehammer and to destroy whatever. But it takes work to reconstruct and put something together so that's something that could be fully functional and healthy. You want something to be healthy, it's going to take work. And what we're going to do for the next eight weeks, nine weeks, is we're going to do more. We're going to do more than just destroy. We're not going to destroy anything at all. But we're going to do something that I believe is countercultural right now because it seems popular to rip things apart. But we as the body of Christ here at K-First, we are going to put our, we're going to put our feet to, I was going to say our feet to the metal, our nose to the grindstone. There we go. Feet to the metal, pedal to the metal. That's what I was looking for. Pedal to the metal, nose to the grindstone. We're going to begin to reconstruct what joy is supposed to be in the life of the believer. Because I'm telling you what, the most joyful people on this planet should be Christ followers. It is time for the body of Christ to stop being lazy with our joy or surrendering our joy to some issue or to some circumstance. We as the body need to be joyful and to walk in that joy. And as we're going to read in a few minutes, we will discover that we are only strong as if we are into the joy of the Lord. We need his joy. We need his joy. And that's where we're diving into Philippians. This amazing book that I would argue, I would argue is perhaps the most quoted book out of the entire Bible when it comes to church life. Some of you think it's Psalms. Some of you think it's uh, Habakkuk. Probably not Habakkuk. Um, there's a lot of scriptures in the book of Philippians that you may or may not know is there that we as preachers, we quote a lot. I like verse, verse one through six. He who began a good work We'll bring it through into completions. Philippians 1.21, to live is for Christ, to die is gain. I used to say that going into football practice every single day. Um, what about Philippians 2.3? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. How many of you know we need that scripture today? What about uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5? 2 verse 5 says that your attitude should be that 
of Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, that I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say... Rejoice. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 6 says that we are not to be anxious for anything. There's a good verse. But in everything, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 8 says that finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything of excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned that in whatever situation I am content. Chapter 4, verse 13, athletes write this on their shoes. For I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then verse 19, and my God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. How many of you have heard these scriptures quoted in church? You're like, Dave, you quote almost all of these every single Sunday. Philippians is not, it's not dense, it is deep. And it's what makes Philippians so impactful for our lives because my goal today and for the rest of this series is not to give you a steroid to get you happy but my my heart is that we would get connected to God and that we would discover joy we need joy I was reading um, a report it's called the world happiness report did you know that exists the world happiness report And out of like the 100 plus countries, America ranks at a whopping 19. Somebody got, sorry, the Finns have number one. No idea why, but they've got number one. But America, over the past handful of years, has been dropping point by point by point. A few years ago, we were number 11. We weren't even cracking the top 10. And we have been slowly dropping down year after year after year. And they base it off of six factors. Income, health, somebody to count on, freedom, generosity, and trust. And some of you are thinking, well, well, yeah, yes, if we had a better, if we had more income, then we're going to be happier. If we had more health, we will be happier. If we had more people to count on, we'll be happier. Freedom, happier. Generosity, happier. Trust, happier. And that sounds like a good thing, but that's one of the problems within our American culture. In fact, part of the article was pointing toward the fact that why we as Americans are beginning to die down in terms of our levels of happiness is because of our levels of addiction. We are, we are one of the most addictive cultures in the world. And because we're not happy, we're addicted to substance, gambling, pornography, social media, the internet. In fact, it says that most teenagers spend an average of six hours on social media a day. When you take in all of their, just checking real quick, sitting on the bus, sometimes sitting in class, which I know would never happen with any of our teenagers here on social media during class or during the message. But we're seeing that teens are increasingly, they're increasingly isolated, they're lonely, they are in a place where they are unhappy. And we get this idea that if we just get the income, we just get someone to talk to, we just get the more freedom, we get more of this, more of this, then we're going to find happiness. And I'm just going to challenge you in this, that my goal of this series is not to make you happy. In fact, I want to chase happiness out of your life. That'll be a great quote for social media. But I want to show you the difference between happiness and joy. The word happiness literally means a sense of satisfaction based on circumstances. Happiness. In fact, in the word happy, the word hap in the Latin literally means luck. So
So if something goes right, then I'm going to have a sense of satisfaction. But joy is something different. Joy is a sense of delight regardless of the circumstances. And the more that you read in Scripture, you're going to understand it is a gift from God. So my goal is not to have a happy church because the happy church says that unless the pastor makes me happy, unless we provide these ministries, unless we, we turn into this consumeristic mindset that makes all of us feel good because of what Pastor Dave or the staff is doing, then we'll be in the great spot. I don't want you happy. I want you full of joy because joy is something that surpasses what we are experiencing. It surpasses the income and people to trust and freedoms and all of this because you're going to discover that one of the greatest growing churches in the world is not in America. It's actually in communist China. A place where there's lack of freedom, lack of ability to get the scriptures, lack of ability to meet. And why is it they have so much joy? Because they have discovered something that can be only found in Jesus Christ. It's something that surpasses circumstances. It is joy that gets, it gets a hold of our hearts. It brings a delight and a satisfaction that surpasses anything that we will face or go through. We need to be a people of joy. I love, there's an old, old song, and I love the lyrics out of that song. It simply says, joy is the flag that flies high when the king of our hearts is in residence there. I love that. Joy is the flag that we fly high. It's the flag that people see flying in our life. It's the flag, it's that mark in our life when people look at us and they think to us, they think to themselves, man, this job is miserable. Why are they so joyful? Man, they got a diagnosis I know about. Why are they so joyful? They, they just lost somebody in their life. They just went through some hurt. They just went through tragedy. They went through a bill. What is it that marks the believer differently from people who don't have Christ? It's the presence of Jesus and the presence of joy. That's what we're meant to be. I mean, it's, think of David's prayer in Psalm 51. I don't have it up there. But he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Psalm 1611. The psalmist says, in your presence is the fullness of joy. Luke chapter 2 verse 10. The, the, the shepherds are in the field and the angels come to announce the Christ child. And they say, and they say this, we bring you good news of great joy. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6, we see that Peter says that you can have joy that is unspeakable, indescribable, and is full of glory. And Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. This is a part of our life. And it is not optional for the believer. It's a part of being a believer. That's why we read in Galatians chapter 25 verse 22 through 23 that the fruit of the Spirit is love Joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Joy is not optional for our lives as believers. Well, some people have the gift of joy. You know what? If you're following Jesus and you don't believe in having the gift of joy, then you might not be following Jesus. You, you need to be a follower of Christ and knowing that a part of the byproduct of following Jesus is discovering joy. And I love what Emily spoke today because I think it's so apropos. Is that sometimes, sometimes that we, the longer we serve Jesus, sometimes we just allow our hearts to get a little bit cold. And we need to just rediscover the joy of our salvation. This is what makes the book of Philippians so relevant for 2021. Because we can blame our situation for not having joy. But what I love about, about Paul, Paul is the writer of Philippians. And if you study it, you're going to understand this, that Paul has been in jail for four years. On his way to being jailed in Rome, he was shipwrecked. 
By the time he gets to Rome, his feet are in stocks. He is actually chained to a guard for 24 hours a day. Some of you have a hard time being around your spouse 24 hours a day. Paul is chained to the upper echelon guard 24 hours a day and on watch by the, by the city of Rome. He is, he is an, he's a prisoner, chained. He's gone through beatings, shipwrecks. His team lost yesterday. All of these things took place. And yet he writes this amazing letter, challenging us to have joy. Look here, I want to give you some keys. No, in fact, I'm not going to give you. Paul's going to give you some keys to joy. So if you're looking at your scripture journals or your, or your version notes, we're just going to give you some simple keys to joy. So look, look here. First and foremost, Paul gives us the first key to joy, and this is, what he, this is what he says. If I can find it in my own notes here. Joy comes by remembering the good in life. Would you write that down in your scripture journals? Write it down next to verses one through five. So I'm going to read those to you because you're going to discover joy comes by remembering the good in life. Verse one, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints, that word saints mean those that are set apart. And when you think of the word saints, uh, the Catholic tradition has designated certain people saints. But let me tell you this, the Bible hasn't designated a few, the Bible has designated you. You are, if you are a believer in Jesus, you're a saint. You're not, you don't always act that way and post that way, but dang it, you're a saint. And you're called to be set apart. And that word set apart only happens by the work of the Holy Spirit of God. He comes in your life and it is a moment and a process of setting us apart. So all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with overseers and deacons, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three, I thank God my God, in all of my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There's some important things in this scripture. First of all, the word thank. The word thank is very important because it's the word that we get the word Eucharist. It's Eucharisto, and we, we get the word Eucharist, which is thanksgiving, communion. Paul says that when I think of Philippi, when I think of the city of Philippi, when I think about the people in Philippi, I immediately begin to thank God for them. That sounds very nice. It sounds very frilly. And you're like, okay, Pastor Dave, why is that a big deal? It's because perhaps you've never read Acts chapter 16 and 17. Because if you think about joy comes from remembering the good in life, you have to ask yourself, what does Paul remember about Philippi that was so good? Let me give you kind of a little bit of a backstory. Acts chapter 16, take time to read it. You're going to discover that Paul went over and wanted to have some doors open in Europe, that God was closing some doors. But opportunity came up in Philippi and he began to talk with people like Lydia and others and began to lead them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, people's lives are beginning to get transformed. And while Paul is ministering, there is this, there's this little girl, we don't know her age, if it's a small child or a teenager, but this girl who has been demonically possessed and oppressed. And the problem is, is there's these men who have basically employed her to do fortune telling. I don't believe in fortune telling. I don't believe in it whatsoever. But this demonic, demonically oppressed little girl has been utilized and brutalized by these men making money off of fortune telling. And so as Paul is speaking about the gospel, this little girl begins to follow behind Paul saying, behold, a servant of the Most High. And we don't know if she was doing that because of the authority that rested on Paul or if she was mocking Paul. And Paul gets annoyed. 
Aren't you thankful that Paul gets annoyed and it feels good that, okay, we get annoyed, we're okay, we're just like Paul. Paul gets annoyed and turns around and he says, in the name of Jesus, be quiet and be free. And immediately the demon leaves her. The authority of God over evil, we get it seen on display. And these men that employed this girl get angry because now their money-making scheme is gone. And so chapter 16 in book of Acts, these guys get Paul arrested. In fact, it's Paul and Silas. They get arrested. They take them. They strip them naked. They beat them, threw them into prison, put their feet and their hands in stocks in the most uncomfortable position in a dingy, unsanitary jail. All of this in the city of Philippi. And read about it. And at midnight, Paul begins to sing. He's not singing the blues. He's not just breaking out some Kanye. Paul just begins to sing songs of joy. This is what James was talking about in James chapter 5. When James began to say, man, if you've got anything worth praising, sing songs about it. Lift up your voice. This is why I never understand when worship services are quiet unless there's like this, like this quiet moment. But I never understand why people don't sing and just magnify God. Because if you've got something to sing about, if you've got Jesus in us, you've got something to sing, something to praise, something to exalt Jesus. And Paul, in the middle of bleeding, he is naked. He is sitting with his friend. All they want to do is give people the gospel. They set a young lady free and they got thrown in jail for it. And he just begins to break out in song and it's there in the book of Acts that a supernatural earthquake comes. It shakes the jail and all of a sudden the locks begin to fall off their wrists. Locks are falling off their feet. The doors begin to open up for all of the prisoners and this is something that God is moving in the jail and the jailer looks and he begins to freak out because one person escapes, he loses his life. So he takes out a sword. He's literally going to lose his life and Paul says, dude, in the Greek, dude, don't do it. We're all here. And the jailer takes them home, cleans them up, he clothes them. And in the morning, all the, all the magistrates, they realize something, that Paul is a Roman citizen. And the law was this, that a Roman citizen could not be flogged and beaten the way they've been beaten. Because if you did that to a Roman citizen, you can, the Roman citizen could return it and have that done to you. And so the magistrates are like, um, if you like, you can just leave the city. And Paul's like, I'll leave the city when I'm ready to leave the city. And Paul, on his way out, just began to speak out, and the church in Philippi was born. I want to get back to this main point here. Joy comes from remembering the good in life. How many of us, are, it seems like our human nature is to only remember the bad. We fixate on what didn't go our way. Paul, listen, it says this. It says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you. So that circle that word all, because that all, that all includes everything that happened. Paul looked back at Philippi. You know what he did not try to fixate on was the scars that are still on his back. The people who did him wrong, the people who accused him, the people who said wrong things about him, the people that, that spat on him, the people that smeared his, his reputation. Paul looked back and instead of fixating on what what happened in terms of what went wrong. He began to look back and begin to say, you know what? The gospel went out. People's lives were transformed. Man, Lydia, the, the one that dealt in purple clothing, Acts chapter 16, she was delivered. She was influential. That little girl that lived underneath demonic possession and oppression, she was set free. God's going to do something in her life. The word began to spread. Church began to explode. And Paul looked back and got joy, not over what had happened to him, but about what was further for the kingdom of God. Ladies and gentlemen, we have got to be in a place where we've got to get past the negative and begin to look at the goodness of what God has truly done. 
We gotta get back to the place where we stop focusing on the negative. That's such a human thing. That's such a Facebook thing. That's such a thing that gets all of the likes. Oh, I agree, amen. You keep talking about what's happened. Because let me tell you this, negativity is like a low-grade fever. And it will deteriorate your faith. It is a low-grade fever. In fact, I wrote it this way. Negativity is that thing that will make us release today's joy so that we can keep hanging on the hurts from yesterday. We got to stop rehearsing it because the more that we rehearse all of the negative, all of the broken, all of the bruised, the more we rehearse it, the more we embed it. And the more we embed it, we begin to have a harder time loving people, being kind to people, caring for people. Paul refused to do it. He looked at Philippi and he didn't look at his scars. He looked at changed lives. And he says, you stood with me. You worked with me. You prayed for me. You encouraged me. He saw the good and it propelled him to have great joy. Number two, joy comes by recognizing that God is at work in each of us. Joy comes by recognizing that God is at work in each of us. Verse six, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work will bring it through to, anybody got it open? Completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That he who began a good work He will bring it through to completion. It's the idea that every single one of us are in process. I love reminding Christians about this, that you haven't made it yet. You haven't made it yet. I saw the way some of you posted yesterday during the Michigan-Michigan State game. Some of y'all have not made it yet. With what I posted on Twitter, I have not made it yet. The beauty of this scripture is this, that we are not who we ought to be, but we thank God that we're not who we used to be. We are not who we ought to be. It means there's still something at work in us, which challenges us not to be critical of the people around us, but to see the potential of what God can do. This helps introduce grace in our life. It helps us to look at individuals and not be so critical of them. Pastor, I think this person should be living better. You know what? I think you should be living better and I should be living better. And the way that we can look at grace for one another is to remember that he who began a good work is not done working. Anybody in the house just thankful that God's not done working? in your life? Anybody in here God's still working in your life? Only the people over here. Let's talk a little bit. Because I need you to witness and give tracks to the people on this side. God's not done working in all of us. And the beauty is it doesn't work it through until the completion of that day in Christ. When's that day coming? It's either at our death or when Jesus comes again. We're a church that believes that Jesus is coming again. And I'm telling you what, I'm here to tell you that God will never be done with you until your breath has breathed its last. God's not done. And that should give us joy. That should give us this place to look at people with joy because it takes zero talent to be a critic of somebody's life. It takes zero talent. And it takes a visionary to look at somebody and say, hey, yes, I see problems, but there's a person that Jesus loves. There's a person that Jesus desires to work in. And the more that we think that way about individuals and seeing the potential of what God can do, the more joy you're gonna see possess in your heart. You see, joy instead of frustration. Joy instead of a critical attitude. But Pastor Dave, critical attitudes are fun. That's right. Some of you, it's your your drug of choice. So stop looking for your next fix and let God come in and just fix your spirit and bring joy in your life. Number three, I gotta keep moving. 
Number three, joy comes through other relationships with other believers. Joy comes through other relationships with other believers. Some of you are Christian hermits. I need you to not be so hermity. I'm speaking as a natural introvert. Some of us introverts, we need to suck it up, buttercup, and actually get out and begin to talk with people. I'm preaching to myself right now. Verse 7. If I can find the number 7 in the midst of all my drawing here. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you because I hold you in my heart for you're all partakers with me in both my imprisonment and my defense and confirmation of the gospel. I love the fact that he says, I hold you all in my heart. You're like, Pastor, believers don't bring me a lot of joy. But it's, not, it's hard to have joy when you've got people around you that you don't know. It's hard to have joy over somebody's life if you don't know. And it's hard to see that God's doing a work in them if you've never taken the time to get to know them. Let me give a little side note here. Before you leave this place today, would you greet somebody that you've never met before and actually ask them their name? Or you can be a Pastor Dave and say, hey, I forgot your name for the 20th time. Could you remind me of your name? Go out to Chipotle with somebody. And Chipotle has not sponsored the, the service today. Uh, go out, get some food, break bread with somebody. Get to know somebody and discover the joy that comes through community. It's hard to believe that God will complete a work in somebody if you have no clue what God's doing in them. Get to know people. We need to be committed to community. I, there's a book that is called Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. What a great title of a book. And the author's name is uh, John Ortwell, and he talks about the power of friendships. And he says this, one of the most famous research projects that's ever been done on relationships is called the Almada County Study. It was headed by a Harvard social scientist and took place over nine years where he tracked the lives of 7,000 people. And they found the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than relationally connected people. He discovered that people who had bad health habits, smoking, poor eating patterns, obesity, alcohol use, and so on, had, but they had strong relational connections. They lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. In other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with friends than kale by yourself. <laughs> Somebody say amen. We need to be a people that learn about community. Because when we come get together with community, it takes our rough edges off. There are people in their life right now that are praying for friendships, praying for healing, praying for connection. And you, listen to this, through the power of Jesus, you can be the answer to the prayer in their life. What if somebody noticed me? What if somebody greeted me? What if somebody encouraged me? What if somebody knew the struggles that I have been through? I'm here to say that if you will look for community, you're going to find joy. This is what we're going to be pressing on you at the start of the new year, where we're going to try to reintroduce small groups all over again. Bring coming around tables, gathering with people. Why? Because we need each other and we need to realize joy comes through relationships with other believers. We need each other. And lastly, and I've got to wrap this up. Number four, joy comes when we pray for others. There's so much joy we're going to talk about throughout this series. But number four, this is huge. Joy comes when we know how to pray for others and when we do pray for others. Verse eight, for God is my witness. I yearn for you with all of the affection of Jesus Christ. Verse nine, and this is my prayer. Here, I'm going to pause here. If you ever want to pray for your pastor, pray this. 
Want to know how to pray for people? Pray this. Here, I'll pick on me. I'm like, I'm the most needy person here. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's break down that prayer because I I believe if you will sincerely go after this, you're gonna begin to discover not just joy in your life, you're gonna discover joy in other people's lives. Let's break this prayer down. Number one, he prays four things. He prays that their love will grow. Verse uh, nine simply says, is my prayer that your love may abound. That word abound is a Greek word that means to overflow or to spill over the top. Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 33, that by this, by the love in your life, all people will know that you are my disciples. You know what's going to help people to know that you're disciples of Jesus Christ? It's not by the track that you're going to hand out in your hand to help people to know how to find Christ. It's not going to be that. It's not the Christian t-shirt, and I'm not against either one of those per se, but the thing that is going to mark your life, that's going to help people to see the love of Jesus, is the actual love of Jesus. And Paul says, would you pray how I'm praying? I'm praying that your love would abound. Because I learned this, that when you blatantly demonstrate the love of Jesus, you experience joy. When you blatantly show people the love of Jesus that didn't deserve it, you're going to experience joy. There's a byproduct of just loving individuals, and it's joy. Look at the second one. He prays that they would grow in discernment. He says that your love would abound with knowledge and all discernment so that, getting into verse 10, you may approve what is excellent. The NIV says that you may discern what is best. Understand that the more God, the more that you want God to bless your life, the more responsibility is going to come with that. Because God does want to bless your life. God wants to bless you physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially. Uh, God wants to bless you in every avenue. And the more that God blesses you, the more responsibility comes with that. And Paul says, I want to pray for discernment that instead of thinking you can do everything, I pray you have discernment that whatever God is doing in your life, that you would do the best things. Focus on what you can do. And do it to the best of your ability. Number three, he prays that they would be pure and blameless. Oh, this is so good. He says, verse 10, the middle half, to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Oh, this is so cool. That word pure literally means in the Greek to be judged with the sun. That may not make a lot of sense to you because, it's, because you are not an ancient market dealer. It meant to be pure like the sun. What that meant is, is that these vase makers, vessel makers, cup makers would take clay create the cup, fire it in the kiln. And if it cracked at all, they would take a wax and they would put it within the cracks so that by looking at it, you would never know that the vessel is compromised. And so what Roman leadership would do is they would walk through the marketplaces because they didn't want anybody cheating anybody. They would grab vases, they would grab cups, and they would hold them up to the sun and begin to turn them to see, is there any type of compromise in the vessel? If it was, they were marked as a cheat. But if they were proven to be fine, if they were pure, they would write the the Latin words sinecera. We get the word sincere. And it means without cracks. Genuine. Paul says, my prayer for you is that your life, as it's held up to the sun, that there would be no blemish. 
that you would walk in Christ and let his light come into your life and begin to heal together the things that life has broken apart. And he also uses the word blameless, which in the Greek means to do nothing to intentionally cause people to stumble. That you would be pure. That you wouldn't purposely look just to make people stumble because it's fun. And then lastly, that you would be fruitful. That you would be filled Philippians says, filled with the fruit of righteousness. The word filled in the original language, it is the same verb that is used to talk about wind filling a sail. What, is it, what happens when a wind blows into a sail? It fills it. The Greek word symbolizes domination and driving. He says, I want you to be so filled with the fruit of righteousness, but this is what dominates your life. This is what drives your life. What kind of drives your life when you go into your workplace? What should drive your life when you're going into your home? What should drive your life when you're going to the gym, when you're going into the marketplace, when you're walking through the neighborhood, when you're walking at church? What should drive your life? It's, Lord, that you would fill them with the fruit of righteousness that joy would pour into us, that, the G, that Jesus would pour into us and what drives our lives, that people would see us not driven with selfish ambition, not driven to give us our own name, our own notoriety, not driven to make ourselves more popular, that what drives our lives is to make the name of Jesus famous, that our lives would be seen, driven with the fruit of righteousness. Let God's hand be so much on our lives that that's what drives us and dominates our life. Paul says, it's time for the church to shake off the things that have tried to break us apart. Everything about this culture seems to want to go into deconstruction, devastation. And it's time for the church to not just sit and just take it. Some of us have just sat and just taken it. It's time to rebuild joy in this church. It's time to rebuild joy in your marriage. Time to rebuild joy in your life. And this is what we're doing for the next eight to nine weeks. We're going to take a one-week break at the end of November to do a missions-focused Sunday. But for the next two months, we're going to be the church that is full of joy. And here's my prayer that I'm going to be praying over you. And I'm going to ask, would you pray it over me? My prayer is this, that your love will abound more and more. And with knowledge and all discernment that you would approve what is excellent so that you can be pure, tested by the sun, blameless, not trying to be a jerk to people for the day of Jesus, that you would be filled, driven, dominated with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Lord, help us to see that joy is possible again.